miss the NFL? I know I do. I'm excited. Very excited. The combine brings very good things. Welcome to another edition of the Rude Dog Show. I know I've been a little hiatus trying to recover from that Miami trip down on the 28th of last month before the Chiefs went on to win a decisive Super Bowl win, Super Bowl 54 over the 49ers, who I think were a little bit favored in that game. I know I favored them. A couple other people that I knew also favored them. But hence the offseason, teams to rebuild, redesign, reformulate, and retool. I know that word's probably not a very popular term, but retool is usually what some teams have to do. One particular team did some retooling during the draft, and maybe you know who that is, maybe you don't. But they're now the Las Vegas Raiders. I, it almost hurts my ears saying that. I can't believe I'm actually saying that. But back in 91, when they were in Los Angeles, of course, L.A. is a fickle place when it comes to football. One particular gentleman who joins me here this afternoon, who spent 10 years in the NFL, who was drafted by the Oakland Raiders in 91, welcome the one, the only, Nolan Harrison. Nolan, how are you? Thanks for taking your time out. I'm great. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much. I definitely uh, appreciate it. And, and a late birthday to you as well, just in case I didn't get that out there on on Twitter. We follow one another, so I thought I'd throw that out there. <laughs> um, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, you know, w- when I look at the 91 draft, and I think of, you know, Rocket Ishmael and, and the types of other fantastic players that, that you were drafted with, Andrew Glover, Dennis Johnson. Of course, everybody remembers Todd Marinovich. But tell me about your draft time. Why? Because you went to Indiana, obviously a, a favored place for a lot of uh, solid, I want to say retired players, as well as some new up-and-comers. We'll, we'll talk about that later on in this show. But what was it during during draft time for you? I mean, give me kind of a walkthrough of what it meant to you. I mean, you remember the Delta uh, Chai fraternity, you received the Delta Chai Award uh, in 97. I mean, tell me about your time in college and how did those steps you take it along the way prepare you uh, for an NFL career? Well, um, I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm extremely biased in my opinion here, but uh, I think Indiana University um, is, a, is one of the greatest schools in the country. I completely loved and enjoyed my time there. Um, enjoy my degree from there um, and you know and building my foundation as a as an NFL player and of course it came it came there and um, it was just a it's just a great place to go to school I mean it's it's very it's it's a blessing to be able to go to a school that you know is constantly ranked in code you know top 10 schools in the country top 10 beautiful places in the country it looks like Hogwarts I took my, uh, my both of my daughters there my oldest was being recruited by Indiana uh, for volleyball she's she's currently going to Maris playing volleyball for them but on our recruiting trip you know I, they'd heard dad Indiana da, da, da. I'd sing the fight song I'd watch the games and you know wear the gear and I of course like any dad of, of, of children you put your kids in that gear and hoping they're gonna go there <laughs> and so they're like yeah dad dad I don't want to do that blah 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 because you know they had no really concept of Indiana right there sure. I was born in Pittsburgh Nella was born in Southern California okay oh they went there and they're like oh my god this is like Hogwarts it's it's like it's you know it's like <laughs> these are castles these aren't classrooms and buildings it's just, so it's it's that beautiful. So when people see it for the first time, like, oh my God, this is a really beautiful campus. So that was my four years. I've been a great school, you know, great education on a beautiful campus, and it was great. I have great my my you know my fraternity brothers, my old teammates. It was just a great experience for me. 
you know, college is, is sometimes one of those places where you learn the school of hard knocks, right? We, we recall our college days as sometimes being the absolute worst of the worst. We're, we're under pressure, having to take tests from an academic standpoint. Did that just kind of work in with your ability to, to play football? And how did you know that you wanted to uh, extend that college career to play in the NFL? Well, I mean, growing up in Chicago and outside of Chicago and being a Bears fan, um, if you're playing football, you want to eventually go to the NFL and play. You know, everybody, you know, we all had those kid dreams. You want to go to college and you want to go pro and you want to play for your pro team, which was the Bears, my hometown team. So, I mean, that, 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 you know, that was always in your, you know, that was always in the back of my mind. And, you know, it's, you know, you want to go pro, you, you do all the lifting and working, you try to make the, you know, the, the big 10 teams and you know you when you go to a bowl game you try to shine and you try to be seen and you know i ended up in the combine and i did well pro day they came to see me and worked me out and you know i thought i was going to go higher than i did but uh you know bell kuiper was wrong so (laughs) (laughs) you've been wrong uh, about a few guys in the drafts i'm just saying lamar jackson's another guy he was wrong about (laughs) yeah you know and i always feel for those guys when i see them on uh you know on the big screen and you know, it's 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 heartbreaking because I've been there. You know, I went I went uh, I thought I was going to go on in the first or second round. It didn't happen. You know, and I wouldn't have even thought that if if you know they you know Mel hadn't been talking it up at that time. But hey, it all worked out. <laughs> I went on the second day and I got drafted by the Raiders and I get to you couldn't tell me anything. I screamed and yelled and jumped up and down in my house and I was the only one left. The whole party was over with. It was the next morning. I'd watched all my videos because I'd stayed up all night nervous and. Mm-hmm. You know, and and, and it, was, it was the best experience and the best phone call I ever had. And Al Davis said, you're going to be a Raider. Congratulations. Art Shell congratulated me. Couldn't wait me to get out there. And, you know, my, my, my coach, Earl Leggett, he's passed away. But, you know, he's like, I've been watching for a long time. I can't believe you fell to us. So we're going to, it's going to be a great fit for you. And sure enough, it was. It was a great fit. I enjoyed my time in the L.A. Oakland area. You know, there's uh, there's there's so much about the Raiders. Of course, you know probably better than I do that they're now moving to Las Vegas, as they said in the early part of the show. And if nobody knows who this is, this is Rudy Reyes on the Rude Dog Show. I'm here with Nolan Harrison, 10-year NFL veteran, uh, current senior director for the NFL uh, PA uh, Retired Players Association. What what was it about playing for Al Davis? I, I know I've heard a lot of different perspectives. I've had Amy Trask on my show. I know you know Amy. And she had a different view because from a from a personal and business perspective, Al was all about business. How how was your conversation, your relationship with Al Davis, and how do you think that may have differed from others? Well, I, I will put it to you like this: um, um, I come from um, you know a school of hard work, and uh, you know you earn your you earn your place. Um, of course, coming in as a six round draft pick back then, there was twelve. And they often the defensive line that I was there with was Howie Long and Greg Townsend and former first round draft pick Scott Davis, former first round draft pick Anthony Smith, mm-hmm. Bob Golick. I mean, all these guys, and I got to break in, so I had to work. So luckily, I came in with a hard working mentality, and Al loved that. He loved that about. And if you worked hard for Al, um, you know the whole the whole idea of you know once a Raider always a Raider, that meant you. So I was a overachieving hard worker. I, you know, worked after practice. I worked before practice. I learned from Howie. I learned all those guys, and he, he appreciated that. So, you know, it's a, you never had a personal personal relationship with Al, but you know, there were some guys that you know, it's it, he respected you. Um, he wanted you around. He would, you know, he'd come and talk to you, he would coach you. He was always a coach. 
So he'd coach you from the sidelines on the, you know, in the, uh, in practice and things like that. But, you know, I just think, you know, if you earned your place and you did what you're supposed to be doing and, and you were doing it the right away, he, he, he loved you. And he was, you know, that once a Raider, always a Raider stuck with me. And it was, you know, and then I've always had that good respect for the organization. God rest his soul. And Mark's doing a good job as well. He's always, he's always around too. So, you know, those of us who are during that time, um, have an appreciation for, for both guys. You know, a, a lot of great things. Of course, Al Davis, very, very stiff in, in his decision-making processes. And, and that was just his style. That's just how he did it, how he recognized it. In order to move the organization from from being the uh, – and, 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 and I'm going to use this term loosely – the Raider image uh, was really about – grit it was about being a fan of your team no matter what regardless and whoever came into your house was not treated with with the best of intent but not with horrible intent uh throughout the years in oakland and i actually attended a game and i'll, I'll tell you this quick story because it's, it's it's totally relative uh in regards and this is when al davis was still around he was definitely aging but he was still around and uh the steelers visited oakland of course at the time i lived in the bay area uh, I was told by somebody who had attended a Raiders game, if you're a fan of the other team, you better bring a Raider fan with you. And so <laughs> I was in the hotel industry at the time, and I brought, I'm not even joking, Nolan, I brought a guy who was like 6'5", 295, and the guy was not someone that you want to mess with. He's very, very intimidating. But inside, he's just a big teddy bear, and he was a really good friend of mine. Um, he went with me. I was like, look, I'm getting two tickets. You're going to go, right? He says, yes, we're going to go. So we go. And the minute I started getting hazed by all the Raider fans, because the Steelers lost that one, by the way. Um, and, of course, I had my terrible towel, and I'm going down with, you know, I'm going down with the ship. You know, that's just how it is. Captain goes down with the ship. So I'm leaving, and no one's even thinking about harassing me or talking, you know, mess to me because, you know, clearly this guy's like my bodyguard. You know, I'll, I'll be honest, the best part of it is when I left the stadium, I was able to breathe. You know, and not have a bunch of anxiety swirling around my mind. But again, the, the Raiders have done this for many, many years. And now those people in Oakland either find a way to get to Las Vegas, which is not close by any means. And I know this because I've been there. How do you think the fans are receiving this right now? I mean, it's obviously too late for that. And the stadium's almost built in Las Vegas right now, in fact. How do you, how do you think and believe, based on being a former Raider, I know you still you know, love to associate with some of your fans and so on and so forth, but how are they taking this move? Well, first of all, I want to go back to your, your experience in the black <laughs> hole and tell you that that's actually very unique that you left there unscathed. Uh, regardless of who you are with, I, I can I have, being in the L.A. Coliseum and being in the black hole up in Oakland, I've, we've been on the field and watched people and other people's jerseys paraphernalia mm -hmm. waving something that's not the silver and black flag of piracy right uh and not and not in well for you so <laughs> I, you you should go to vegas for that you know it's that was a very fortunate time for you to to come out on skate that's rare so it, it uh, i lived good experience. I'm, glad it, I'm glad it ended well for you that it, was good <laughs> Um, I mean, I've seen women beat women. I've seen women beat up men. I've seen men beat up men. It's just, it's it's, a, it's sometimes it could be a free for all. And the games that were in L.A. when the L.A. Rams and the L.A. Raiders were there together, mm -hmm. no spikes between you know inner city fans. Oh, it was just hilarious. But anyway, um, to answer your question about how the fans react 
to us leaving. I mean, it's the diehard Oakland fans, and I can tell you this because it was um, I was part of the team that moved back to Oakland. Mm-hmm. They love their Raiders. They really do. I mean, even more than the L.A. Raider fans. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no knock against them, but you know, they the, the Oakland Raider fans. They just, they, you know, that was their team, and they they were so happy to get us to come back. It was so because they were so boisterous and so supportive. Wherever we would go, they would always be there, and they would always identify as Oakland Raider fans. That we as a team, when we moved back, it was such an exciting time for us because, you know, I mean, the stadium, you know, the uh, the Coliseum was only, you know, maybe half full most of the time. So even when we were good, fans weren't coming out to watch us play. So, I mean, in, in the hundred and plus thousand, you know, seat stadium that the Coliseum was back then, you know, we're getting 56,000. So in a regular stadium today, that seems pretty full right now. It's not so... Um, you know, the Oakland fans, I have a, they have a special place in my heart. It really the same as L.A. fans. I spent four years playing there. Um, but I think everybody's going to get on board with this. I think the, um, the Raider fans travel well, just like Steeler fans do travel well. Um, and I think yeah, it's good. the hurt, once the initial hurt is over with, and the fans really understand it's not the team's fault. The team didn't want to leave. The city didn't give them a new stadium. Everybody else is getting new stadiums. The Raiders couldn't get a new stadium. You know, it's got to be a business decision at that point. And Vegas is a really strong um, destination spot for a lot of people in in, in, in California. So I don't right. think it's a, it, I don't think it's that big of an ask or, or to get to, to get the fans to come out because it travels so well anyway. So now I, I mean I don't I don't anticipate the new Death Star or whatever they're calling it. It looks like the Death Star. Yeah. Out <laughs> it does. Um, I don't I don't anticipate them not selling out. I, I think the fans are gonna you know even those who maybe sit on the fence or maybe mad at them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they'll come back. You know, very similar to my dad in Chicago. We were season ticket holders for the Bears, and when they renovated um, Soldier Field, they left out a lot of season ticket holders. Um, you know, were kind of left to either have the worst seats possible or because they increased the ticket prices and all that stuff. They didn't really appreciate the fans as much. But eventually, years later, they kind of they came back. My dad never did, but other friends of his did. They, they came <laughs> back and they bought other season tickets, and it eventually was okay, right? Because if you really love the team. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's, you know, you might be mad at your wife for a little bit, but you're going back because you love her. And, you know, <laughs> I love hate, love hate relationship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, you, you can't look, you can't live with them. They can't, Raider fans, true Raider fans can't live with them. They'll, they'll be in Vegas and I'll, I'll be there at least once or twice a year, you know, um, soaking it up and loving on them. And yeah. as much as they love on us on social media and everything, it's, it's, it's a great thing. So I think they'll be okay. Yeah, I, I think they will eventually too. I want to shift gears a little bit because there it, it's something kind of near near and dear to a lot of people's hearts when we're talking about. I mean, obviously you ended up on TV. You were Corbin Burnson. He's a really good actor. I don't know about being the the role guy, the head role, but but you played a role on television of Bootsy, and oddly enough, I remember that. I actually watched one episode <laughs> of Bloodhounds. And I said, who's this guy, Bootsy? Oh, that's hilarious. Who is this guy? Tell me about that. How did you How did you get the role? Did someone just recruit you, or you got a phone call? How did that happen? You know, it's it's funny. It's, you know, that's that once. It's funny, because I didn't think it was the greatest movie anymore, but I, li- I liked a couple of actors. But it's really one of those once upon a time in Hollywood things, right? I mean, we're the L.A. Raiders. You know, we're Hollywood. There's so many, you know, there were... You know, people who were always around us, talking to us, and things like that. And then someone said, "Hey, you know what? Have you thought about, um, you know, acting?" And you know, because I speak well and all that good stuff. You know, my mom and dad raised me right, so right. you know, I'm, I'm the finished product of their of their upbringing. And they said, and "They said you should really go out for an audition." So I mean, it was the hard way. I wasn't like one of those. Ooh, let's 
premier, you know, let's put a football player in and, you know, and, and increase the marquee of the name. No, I actually had to audition for that, uh, for that role. And um, I, I got it. And it was just it was just a wonderful experience. I can't believe people can still find that. <laughs> My staff actually surprised me with it because I hadn't told anybody about it. And all of a sudden, like it was two years ago, they they brought it up during a meeting and and then shamed me with it with my horrible accent. Oh. It was, hey, it's something I did, right? It's, it's a cool thing. I, I, yeah. I mean, it was a blessing. There are people who are like, they can't get in one. I got in one, so I'm okay. You know, I'm okay sure. with that. Nice, <laughs> nice. You know, I'm, I'm from the, the, the Southern California area now here in Denver, Colorado. And I remember doing some screenshots. I'm trying to remember the name of the place that saved my life. But I went in, got some screenshots done, did some, did some video work. And uh, of course, they you know, they they casted me out there. Hey, look, you know this and never got a call, never got a call. So at least you got the call, a call. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, right. you, you can always have her fifteen minutes. They were sweet. Corbin Burnson was a nice guy. You know, he was just. It was just. It was a really cool experience. It really was. I had no, I no, no desire to, to further that anymore. Obviously, um, and then we left California too, so that was it. But. You know, I mean, I blame Howie for it because, you know, Howie was doing Highwayman and doing all that stuff on television. Yeah. He put he put the bug in everybody's ear that were there. So I always blame Howie for my for my rise and, and rapid decline in my, uh, my Hollywood career. <laughs> it was a 15-minute skit and you're done. <laughs> you're a, I'm right. out of California. I'm, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm out of here. I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Nolan Harrison joins me here on the Rude Dog Show. This is Rudy Reyes. One more little tidbit, and, and this kind of more on a serious note here. You've done a lot of good writing, and I've seen a lot of it on LinkedIn, and you've done a lot of talks to Indiana University on heroism. And I think heroism is a very expansive word. It's not just indicative of you know, saving a cat from a tree. This goes beyond that. The talk that you, and of course, there are quite a few of them. You can find them on YouTube as well. Nolan Harrison on YouTube. Childhood Dreams of Heroes, My Long and Winding Road, and your core values and how heroism kind of shaped experiences from a very young age on through college into adulthood. But what that means more so is to stop sexual assault against female students on campuses. And, and this is, this is just a small instance. I mean, a woman statistically gets raped one every like 10 minutes. So to be quite honest with you, where did this, where did this come from? How did this kind of evolve into doing it on YouTube and making this such, such an expansive uh, conversation piece? Um, well, that's another one of those. Um, it was just it was a blessing of an opportunity. Um, one of my fraternity brothers uh, is, um, I've, I've yeah, lots of them have done extremely well post-football. Um, he was involved with TEDx, and um, he knew the story. Um, but he also knew the other piece of my um, of my upbringing. I'm, I've never been um, back back when it was nerdy to talk about superheroes and and you know read comics and graphic mm-hmm. novels and things like that. I was I was never ashamed of that. That's I've been doing it since I was a kid, and. Um, you know, when you when you really uh, understand what the hero's journey is, um, what that entails, they're not perfect beings. They're not uh, they're not um, they're not without fear. They're not without reservation. They're not without flaws. Um, when you understand that part of it, um, and you and you take the core part of it into you, like, hey, um, it, it, it could turn out badly for you, but it's worse if you don't stick a stand, if you don't stand up, if you don't say something. Um, and if you do, maybe you'll launch others into doing the same thing. You'll be that light 
that um, that others can follow. And even if it ends badly for you, the legacy of that will end up being even powerful, more powerful for someone else. If you once you have that in you and it's and it becomes ingrained in you, and for me it was the readings, understandings, and really taking a lot of those lessons to heart. Um, being a, being a kid that was bullied when I was younger, to all of a sudden you know, I got taller, I got bigger, I got stronger, and then I could have been the bully, but because of the you know the lessons I'd learned, I, I turned into you know one who would be protecting of others who had already gone through the same stuff as I. Mm. Um, I just really think that has a lot to do with it. So the lessons we teach our kids. Um, the things that we put in front of them, the uh, the way that we parent, um, and the things that they see in society, I think that's really shaped by um, by the media and, and what they put in front of them. So you have to be careful with that. Both of my daughters have always been extremely careful with exposing them to um, heroic attitudes and values, the realistic part of it, not the stuff that, you know, it's it's always a shining thing and it's never, it's always perfect and, you know, it, you know um, there's always a happily ending. It's just not. But if you stay the course, you do the right things, you, say, you, know, you, you, you live that lifestyle, um, it'll always end up better for you. Um, and, and, you know, you can tell people who aren't being raised with that, um, that kind of mentality. You know, the, the bystander mentality, they're watching things go by, watching horrible things go by, and you see it. Um, and I just, I just think that comes from how you were raised and how you were, uh, what shaped your, your mentality and your core values when you were younger. I was just very blessed. I was, it was never um, discouraged. It was encouraged. The reading was encouraged. The, you know, me, you know, jumping over creeks and running around being, you know, being the nerdy superhero, you know, wannabe, that was always encouraged. It was never discouraged. And I think that really shaped me into the person I am today. I think so as well. And you really are able to give insight and, and insightful thought processes and help guide your daughters. I have a daughter as well to try to help kind of shape their mentality uh, and if they're the one standing by, then they're as almost as guilty as the one running by doing the negative act or the hurtful Absolutely. act or anything of that nature. So those two are very, very paralleled. And, and I think that a lot can a lot of people can can really learn. I mean, you have people like like Jen Welter, who teaches, you know, women how to be stronger, her, her, her mentality, her attitude. Uh, one of the first coaches in the NFL, and there's obviously a couple of them. And the Redskins, speaking of the Redskins, you used to play for the Redskins, but we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but, but women are getting more predominant roles in the NFL all the time. And, and it goes beyond the NFL. We're talking, uh, you know, hopefully that will propel other business entities to be able to say, you know what, these women are as valuable as the men counterparts. Why can't they be paid as much, if not more? That's another conversation for another day, but I definitely wanted to kind of put that out there because if the women are the ones that are being taught by the men to fight for what they believe in, then they should also fight for the education that they believe in, that they deserve, have exhibited, and to be able to acquire a better paying role within whatever organization that is and to be paid accordingly. Uh, so very, It should be all about ability. Absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to shift gears here. Don't have a whole lot more time. But I want to talk about that 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 move to Pittsburgh. So you you were there from '91 to '96. You move to this win, winter wonderland from Los Angeles. Kind of happened to me. I left LA. I went to Wyoming. You went from sunny California, where 75 is a normal high, to a cold, wintry, blizzardy uh, iceberg um, in in Pittsburgh with the Steelers from '97 to '99. How was that transition? How difficult was it? to move from, of course, I probably know the answer to that question. I've done it myself, but how was your transition 
exiting the Raiders to move to Pittsburgh to play for the Steelers? It was actually okay. I'm a Chicago kid, so I'm a Midwest kid. Um, it was always I, I, I tell you a quick story when when getting you know coming out of Indiana, which is you know still it's it can get cold. We can have um, snowstorms and things like that there. Hmm. Um, but being a Chicago kid and getting drafted to the LA Raiders, yeah, it's a dream come true, obviously, because I get to get out of the Midwest and. To be sending, but that that blood, you know, that thick blood, that Midwestern blood, that you know, that Midwestern card never really leaves you. So you know, the Florida guys and the Texas guys, South Texas guys and California guys, we go play Green Bay, or we go play Buffalo, or we go play, you know, and we play any any place cold weather back home, my hometown of Chicago, Soldier Field. Uh, I was always fine with it. I never wore sleeves and everything, but, you know, I'd see them all freezing up. I'm like, you're not going to be able to move. You put all that stuff on. But, <laughs> you know, I, I, to me, it was just like going back to going back home. You know, when you hit somebody so hard and you use their body as a sled and you get another <laughs> three-yard loss out of it, it was beautiful. <laughs> so you just kind of like transition into this black and gold nightmare, uh, so to speak, uh, when you entered Pittsburgh. You were there for, for a few oh, years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What and was it? What? it too, that, that turf, that turf in Three Rivers was 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 really good. So when they would freeze over the top of it, or it became kind of icy and slick, that made for even more good body sledding um, opportunities for us. So <laughs> uh, you you hitting Drew Bledsoe and then you know using him to slide another couple of yards back towards the towards the end zone where everybody's like, yes! I'm like, yes! I mean, it was, those were fun times, fun opportunities. Obviously, you know, there's times that it didn't work out, and I was getting body slammed, but that's what. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, okay, so then on that note, today, or I should say yesterday, was the um, the anniversary of the implosion of Three Rivers Stadium to make way for, obviously, Heinz Field. Um, I've, I've never been to Heinz Field, never been to a home game. I'm a diehard Steelers fan. I've interviewed plenty of them, including yourself, to add to that list. Uh, what was it like for you to watch that implosion, or did you have the opportunity to see that? Um, well, I was in Washington. I pl- actually, it's funny. I think I might have the last tackle for loss in a night game or a night game when I was playing for Washington. I got I got a great jump on Roger Duffy and got Cordell in the backfield um, and three rivers. So um, it was bittersweet. I was there when we did the ribbon cutting ceremony, and I still have actually my hard hat in my office right now with the Steeler emblem on the side. Um, you know, commemorating the, the the breaking of the ground of Heinz Field. So, you know, and you, you always think that you know you have the hope that you're going to be there and you're going to be able to experience the new things. You know, I was in the new the new training facility in, in my last year there in '99. Um, you know, I don't hope to finish my career there, but you know, it's a business. It's a business of football. It didn't work out that way, but it was definitely bittersweet when I um, when I saw it uh, when I saw it go away. So many memories, so many. So much history, so many Super Bowls, so many great players have gone through that um, through that organization, and then you know, and the fans, you know, and then so they they you know some of them were you know conceived and you know they, they were their moms were carrying them. My daughter was being carried by her by my by my wife in that stadium as I was playing. Um, so you know it it, um, it has a special place in a lot of people's hearts. It's very similar to being in Chicago and watching um, Comiskey blow up. You know, it's um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but hey, we all love U.S. Cellular now, so you know, it might be called something else. But you know how it is. It's 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 hard to see the old thing go, but uh, Heinz Field is a phenomenal stadium. You got to go. It's beautiful. And the way they've it. done their kind of um, yeah, their 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 Hall of Fame and their you know their 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 legends. Um, 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 area under the bottom with mm-hmm. the, they have the lockers and all the and you know the graphics and everything. It's beautiful. It really is. They do a good job, really paying homage 
to all of those old players who have gone through there. And I'm not super, super old, but, you know. <laughs> you're, no, no, you're not super, super old at all. Uh, you know, you're talking about that, Coach Coach Bill Cower. Uh, obviously, somebody you had played uh, under. Did, did did you reach out to, to Coach Cower and congratulate him on his entry in Pro Football Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sent him, sent him the congratulatory text. You know, those guys are, you know, it's just, he, he, he's, he's, he's just one of those, you know, we all hoped that eventually he was going to, he was going to get in. Um, but the funny thing is, you know, he was thinking during my time there that it, he thought he, maybe his message um, had, had reached its, its apex and he couldn't reach the guys anymore. And he was thinking about changing teams back then in the late 90s. Mm. And so obviously, for, you know, for, for the betterment of, of Steeler Nation and everybody else, um, and for him, luckily he stuck on, got two more Super Bowls, and, you know, kind of, you know, it's, that cemented his, um, his being in the Hall of Fame. But great guy, great coach, players as players, we love him. Um, so I'm not surprised at all. You know, and he's just the iconic chin and, you know, I've, I've got a couple of national TV moments where I was on the on the bad side of that chin in the spittle. Um, but, you know, that, that's, and the that's, shield. that's Bill, and I'm, I'm so proud of him. And the shield he had to wear. Uh, you know, and then, oh, yeah. you, you last, and then your last uh, stint was, was in Washington. And, and, and I know they get their snowstorms. Washington weather can be pretty, pretty brutal. But you, you transmit over from the Steelers. You played one year Washington. You called it a day. What was it like in your very last year? How did you know when to say when and you were done? What was that key moment, and what was it like? Well, it, it, I, I really I really did. My last year in, in, in the league was, um, you know, I signed a one-year with a one-year option. Um, so I, I thought maybe I was going to get 11 in. Um, but my body was feeling pretty brutally beat up, um, even going into my 10th season. And then the very the first, almost the very first practice, um, Jay Lewinsky threw uh, Barber into my knee and tore my MCL during practice. And so I spent almost all of that training camp uh, rehabbing. And I got back, ironically, in the preseason game against the Steelers, which was the last preseason game, so, you know, to test it out and make sure I was going to end up getting a couple of sacks and I had a good preseason game. It was a preseason game, so, you know, that yeah. really doesn't count. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, and so then... You know, Bruce Smith is. I was brought in to be a first and second down run stopper. You know, that's that was my thing. I was three hundred plus pounds. You know, that's that's what I did. Um, and Bruce was brought in. All of us were brought in. It was Andre Reed, me, Bruce Smith, Deion Sanders, um, Irving Fryer, Jay Lewinsky. I mean, there were so many of us that were brought in um, during this time. I think Marco was, was that was his first year with us too. So was, so many of us old vets were brought in. Jeff George um, yeah. to to help help the team win. Right. Really enough, it was ended up because our kicker got hurt. We ended up missing field goals and we couldn't and make extra points, and I, I think that kind of killed our season. But um, but uh, Bruce didn't want to leave the field, so love my guy. But you know, then I, for the first time in years, I ended up being a backup. And um, you know that that's into your career um, going in and you know terrible situations, and I'm like, you know what, this might be it. My my daughter had just been born in '99. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I was, I was away from her. I'd missed her first steps and, you know, the wife and, and, and wife and, and daughter did not come out here until late in the season. So I w- it was a pretty brutal final year for me, but that's when I realized, you know, I was already working for Northwestern Mutual. I'd already had a career out of, out of football started and ready to go. So football, I didn't need football anymore, mm-hmm. um, but I loved it too much. Um, but I, I was ready to go when, when the season was over with. Um, and it was, it was, I knew it was time. My body was telling me it was time. 
my heart wanted to stay in it, but um, thank goodness I had some other things to do. Um, I was already taking care of what, what was needed to be taken care of off the field, mm. so it was an easier transition than most. It still hurt, but um, yeah, that's that's kind of how it happened for me. Well, you you managed to play 128 games. You had 22 sacks. You had one one safety. That's okay. Last but not least, I have to ask you: How did you get that safety? That one lowly safety with the Raiders in '92. I have to know how did that happen. I, I believe that was in Seattle, up in the Noise Dome. Uh, back when obviously people with younger listeners don't know that Seattle was in the AFC West at the time. Um, and I, I think we either got Chris Warren to fumble or we got. Um, um, Rick Meyer to fumble in the end zone, and I ended up getting on top of it. So I, um, I think that that's, I believe that's that safety. There's been some of the others where I've been like, I've had a piece of it, stuff like that. But I believe that's the one I got credited for. And I think it's somebody has it on film somewhere because that's where I thought somebody shared it on uh, on Twitter. But uh, I believe that one was it. But it was, you know, we were brutalizing them, man. You know, it was it was it, it was '92. I was really. Um, I, I, you know, I got past that, that rookie year and I was on fire and yeah, it was a great game. We were really, we really beat him up in that, uh, in that game. So it was, a, it was a good game for us, but I believe that's the safety that I got credit. I think so as well. It was, uh, it was October 18th, 92. Uh, you, you had, uh, Anthony Smith was involved in that. Of course, another, another famous guy out there, Terry McDaniel, Nick Bell, Jay Schrader, uh, Willie Galt was in that game, uh, P.K. Jager, and you with that safety at the last moment, October 18, 1992. And I'm going to just tag you in this. I just found it right now. Uh, <laughs> I just found it. I, I had to tweet it to you. Okay, so tell me about this anime fix. Please tell me because I'm dying. In a, how's a guy who's 50-plus years old get into anime? Did it start with Robotech? I mean, tell me, how did that happen? So that's that's another part of the uh, you know a part of you know shaped me in terms of heroes right I've been watching anime ever since we were, we we were able to get it here in the United States so you know a lot of people don't realize but basically Speed Racer was our first anime here in the states yes um, so kind of watching watching that and you know grew up watching Johnny Cycle and the, and, and the flying robots and G Force Battle of the Planets those were yeah. that was basically anime so um, when I was playing for the Raiders being in L A. Um, you know, you go to the comic book shops and I'm going to get, I'm picking up my graphic novels and my comic books and I see these videos, right? And everybody's talking about Fist of the North Star and, and Akira, Fist of the North Star. And I'm like, it's, and it was all on VHS and they had just got a shipment in from Japan. And that's, and that's when it happened. It got me, I got those and I'm like, wow, are there any, are there any other good ones? And I remember the store clerk was really, you're asking us? So that's, that's when it started. I used to have hundreds of them on VHS and then of course to DVD and now thank God there are channels there are channels there are, there are, you know, there are apps that you can download and you can get them directly from Crunchyroll is one of my favorite ones I get them directly you know simulcast directly from Japan so yeah that's that's how it started but you know that's the hero's journey that's all part of it but it's live action now not just in the pages and I love that even more because I can I can follow the manga, which is you know Japanese version of comic books, uh, or I can or I can look at the anime version of it. So, and me now, considering how much how much time I do not have on my hands anymore, being a dad, trying to be a husband, uh-huh. being an executive, <laughs> yeah, I can catch my half an hours on on when I'm doing my cardio and I get my fix in that way. And so that's how I follow my shows. I do it during my cardio sessions. Nice, very cool, very cool. Nolan Harrison joins me here for just another minute longer. Nolan, thank you so much for for taking your time out to talk to me this afternoon. You've been an absolute delight. 
I know we ran over a little bit of the 30, but I, I certainly wanted to ask that anime question the last but not least because growing up, all I had was Robotech. And I know there are other ones that may have proceeded and so on and so forth, but that was the very first anime that was on TV in a cartoon format that the U.S. decided to pull off of broadcasting shelves because of the amount of violence. People getting obliterated and seeing absolutely nothing but the whisk of their silhouette. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they decided oh, yeah. to pull this stuff and said, we ain't doing this no more. <laughs> We're done. That's right. That's right. Yeah, G.I. Joe, everybody lived, right? They all perished yeah. out after their plane was blown up. The tank was blown up. Everybody would live. Yeah, no. Yeah, ja Japanese anime, yeah, not so much, not so much. That's, pretty, that's it can be pretty brutal, it can be pretty gory. <laughs> exactly, I was just going to say, bro, took the words out of my mouth. Nolan Harrison joins me here on the Rude Show. Nolan, thank you so much, man. It was a pleasure having you on. And uh, let everybody know where, where, where they can find you. And, of course, I found you on, on LinkedIn. Uh, but where else can they find you at? You can find me on, on IG and on Twitter. And it's the same handle, at Nolan Harrison 74 Cool. Sounds good. I will definitely do that on Instagram. Thanks a lot, Nolan. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you on the Twitterverse, <laughs> as it were. Sounds good, man. I appreciate the time. Thanks Absolutely. So Thanks a lot. Take care. You know, Nolan Harrison joins me here on the Rude Dog Show. Such a delight talking to him. So, so insightful. A pleasure to talk to you. And, of course, talk about the Steelers, talking about the Raiders. And we're, you know, always doing good things. Uh, obviously, an executive for the NFLPA, uh, doing his absolute best uh, for, for players as well. Uh, he has done so many different things that benefit so many people in, in, in many walks of life. Uh, this is Rudy Reyes on the Rude Dog Show. Make sure you tune in next time. That'll be a lot sooner than later. Like it, love it, share it. This is Rudy Reyes. Take care. Thanks for tuning in.